I had some ideas of some light things that I could say to begin with, but uh, uh, in light of uh, where the Lord has us right now, I'll skip those things, <laughs> and we'll just move right into the message. It's uh, two pages longer than normally my message is, so um, let's don't have a long winter nap, because I think it's, a, I think it's a, something we need to hear, and I hope you'll hear my heart in it. It's, I'm not speaking at you, but I'm speaking with you. Um, so I'm going to read a prayer to start out with. This is from A.W. Tozer uh, in his The Pursuit of God. So if you would bow your heads and uh, let me read this prayer. Oh God, I have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire, O God, the triune God. I want to want you, you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Amen. After our worship time together, it seems like, well, maybe we're already there. But um, I want to continue here. Actually, I want to kind of launch out uh, from Bill's message of last week. I'm going to start with one of the the scriptures out of Colossians that Bill uh, read, maybe at the beginning and at the end, Colossians 1.9. Yeah, the first, at the beginning and the end, but... It was the end of it that I was really uh, homing in on it. So I'm going to read it again, starting in Colossians 1, verse 9. <clears throat> For this reason, we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all perseverance and patience, joyously, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Thank you, Jessica. My fingers are cold. My nose, because it's the farthest thing away from my body, is cold. <laughs> you know, I don't know if, I, if it was just me, and I was, I was talking to Bill about it. Um, I need something for my nose. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it started bleeding yesterday. The inside is just so dry. It's... Um, so I was thinking about the end of Bill's message and um, I, t- I asked him this morning I said you said something at the end of your message and it was almost like it was an afterthought I said I didn't even know if it was written in your in your message but it, his voice got quieter and lower and he said this he said the first step is desire and I don't know if you caught that being in the prayer that A.W. Tozer said so i have kind of launched out from that as it's like 
Okay, Lord, are, and this is the hard thing I think about speaking to, to the congregation is, is all that you've been doing in my life in the last six weeks for me? Or it, <laughs> am I supposed to bring everybody else in, into this place? Um, so that's why I say I hope you'll hear my heart in this. Um, it's been interesting because I... Uh, um, I was looking around, and I've got a, lots of books like Greg, but maybe a 10% of what Greg's got. But I was looking through this one, and there's one that caught my attention. It says, uh, in times of chaos. I said, oh, let me pull that thing out and see what's in it. <laughs> and so I did, and, and we'll get to this in a minute, because it was about the seven deadly sins. So, And we're going to be talking about sin today, so... Um, that's why I say I hope you hear my heart in this. I'm not speaking at you, but with you in that particular way. But um, so he, he talked about this thing about that this the first step is desire, you know. And Bill's message last week was about God's will, you know. And and God does have a will. He has a He has a will, and He has a will for you. And God's will is that we would be with Him. That's what Jesus says. I, I'm going to come back so that where I am, you may be with me also. And so you look at this story we've been given. He's gone to great lengths and great price that we may be with him. And so whatever his will is for you sits up under that. He has a will for you to enter into this story in this journey that we're that we're making on the way to be with him. Um, and so, you know, as, as wise people as we are, we uh, want to begin with the end in mind. And Randy has been so gracious to remind us of that. And I think every person that has spoken since Randy spoke has referenced this last verse in Philippians chapter 3. Do you remember what it is? <laughs> I'm going to remind Randy who has told all of us about this particular verse the, the last verse well I know because if you were to ask me what I spoke about two weeks ago I probably couldn't tell you So, <laughs> but the last verse in Philippians 3 says this for our citizenship is in heaven so the wise person begins with the end in mind um our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior. Because that's the only way we're going to get there, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That's a lot of power. So today I want to kind of pick up on that. Um, so I was rereading through Philippians and chapter 3 in my Bible has a heading. It says the goal of life. And then there's chapter 3. This verse is the, that we just read is the last verse in that chapter. But if you, but so how are we supposed to get there? Well, we're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Just what Bill you know, was telling us last week. Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, what do I do to get there? So if you back up about halfway into chapter 3, um, Paul tells us this. 
um, beginning where he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on. That's the key thing for today. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize or upward call for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So, I, I say again, you know, there is this place in our life where we need desire. And so, today I want to examine why it's important to nurture that and to be alert when that desire starts to decrease or wane or fade, whatever word you want to use there, because that is there is a sin that causes that to begin to go away. So, pressing on seems pretty straightforward, especially like this morning when we're all kind of healthy. It's like, well, you just tell yourself, you hit the go button of your heart and you just do it. There's nothing to it, really. Well, And if the go button doesn't work, then you hit the just do it button. I don't feel like it, but I'm just going to do it. I don't know about you all, um, if, you've, if you've not had a problem with uh, pressing on in the past, you know, if you've not been indifferent or, or had apathy or kind of just treaded water for a little bit, I suggest you probably hadn't walked with God long enough because we all have gone through that seasons when we're not near as desirous as we would like to be. Um, and there are things that cause that, and what I want to do is to look at that a little bit this morning, is to begin to recognize the symptoms of that. Uh, the sin itself we're going to talk about is full-blown. What I really want to look at is, because we know where it leads, that we can begin to identify where the seeds of it start. And so... Uh, it's listed as one of the seven deadly sins. These are sins that men, men, man has listed as deadly. I, I kind of think that probably much, most all sins are deadly. But uh, for some reason, we like to prioritize them. And in case you've forgotten what they are, I'm just going to read through the first six. Lust, gluttony, avarice or greed, wrath, envy, pride, and the one we're going to talk about today, acedia, which is, does anybody know what acedia means? Me either. I didn't either until I started re reading about it. It's the Latin word for sloth. Um, I knew it had to be because sloth was the only one I could remember. <laughs> well, everybody can kind of breathe a, a sigh of relief because certainly that's not about us, is it? <laughs> Wow, he's not going to be talking to me today. Thank goodness. Well, that's what I thought. I thought, man, that's not me. And then the more I read about it, I thought, yeah, I'm afraid sometimes it is. It's like 
I thought I knew what it meant. It's just kind of like being lazy, you know. But as the more I read about it, and we'll find out as I continue, activity can also just be a mask to cover it up. And I'm like, I didn't need to see that. I just didn't need to see that. Because I have my list, and I get through them, and I mark them off. And if it's extra hard to do, I, I mark through it twice because it's, you know, it's more victorious. <laughs> so, um, I want to talk about what it is and what it's not, okay? What it's not is relaxing. That's not sloth. Idling is not sloth. I mean, if you like are with a friend or your wife or spouse or whatever, and you linger or idle over a meal and just enjoy talking or um, you're out for a walk and you do it every day like Bill and Julie do for an hour or used to. I don't know if they still do, but that's, that's not sloth. That's enjoying a time to... Uh, and I think that's one of the things as, as Americans... We, maybe I should say me, I have a hard time relaxing. I said, oh, I'm going to go out and sit on the back porch. It's a nice day. And after about 20 minutes, I've got the fidgets. I need to go do something, you know, to get my value quotient back up there, you know. So, um, but those things are not, that's not being slothful to do those things. Um, what it is, let me just read this definition to you. This is an interesting definition. There's three definitions. A style of life and work that is pursued without regard for the enduring health of the community and place that you live. It's really love of self over love of others. Could you read that again? A style of life and work that is pursued without regard for the enduring health of the community. I thought, but that's an interesting definition for, for, for sloth. And this, is, this, this becomes more apparent when we understand that it complements and augments the other seven sins. The other sins are self-absorbed and they don't display love to the larger world. Gluttony. Gluttony is about me. Envy is about me. Envy hurts me, not the person being envied, if you think about it. Um, greed, wrath, all these things are sins of commission. Where sloth is the sin of omission. It's we are not living up to the behavior that, and attitudes that we ought to. Um, it's a sluggish, sluggishness of spirit, feeling, and mind that grows from a state of dejection over the worthwhileness of spiritual things. The, the core here is spirit, not temporal and physical things that we maybe don't want to do. Um, it's a careless indifference 
or apathy to our ideals or to spiritual truth. Um, how, how does this thing start? Most of the time it's very subconscious. Things we, we may, we may, it may come to be conscious and we think about it. And sometimes we even say these questions out loud. Questions like this. What's the point? What's the use of doing that? What difference does it make? What difference does it make if I pray? I mean, I've done it before. I, I just don't think I'm going to do it anymore. You know, it doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to work. This is indifference in question form. What difference does it make? Is indifference. Um, there's a there's a lady that's written lots of stuff. Her na- name's Dorothy Sayers. She makes this observation about sloth, and this goes back to this the thing that I was saying earlier in this whole fact that it, you know, it it's a life that doesn't have a regard for the welfare of the community. You guys are really frowning at me. I must not be getting through here. So. <laughs> Dorothy says this about sloth. First, it is one of the favorite tricks of this sin to dissemble itself under cover of a whiffling activity of body. In other words, to be very active because it covers up this whole thing about what's the worthwhileness of really engaging life. Um, we think of it, we are busy rushing about and doing things. We cannot be suffering from sloth. And besides, violent activity seems to offer an escape from the horrors of sloth. That is, having no sense of purpose or making effort to live or engage a vibrant spiritual life. So the other sins hasten to provide a cloak for sloth. Gluttony offers a world of dancing, dining, sports, and dashing very fast from place to place to gape at beauty spots, which, when we get to them, we defile with vulgarity and waste. And she goes on and goes through covetousness and and envy and all these others. Um, I thought this was interesting. She says, Sloth persuades us that our stupidity is not our sin, it's our misfortune while envy at the same time persuades us that intelligence is despicable a a dust highbrow and commercially useless thing so she she has a very interesting perspective about this so this not caring and indifference is how we justify why pressing on isn't worthwhile while it's futile or meaningless and why we can't see any clarity to continue in what we're doing. Um, I'm going to give you two biblical examples of sloth. One is as a community, and one is as an individual. Both were very costly. Um, The first one comes out of Deuteronomy. Very, very familiar story that we all know. I'm going to just kind of read through parts of it here. Um, 
if you want to refer back to it, it's it's in Deuteronomy, and um, it's the story of being charged to go up and get the promised land. It's been being promised for how many generations, and now's the time. But but this particular recounting of it in Deuteronomy is forty years later. Moses is recounting to the people that are now still alive, all the kids, they're alive. He's recounting the history of walking through this time um, as much as a warning that, uh, you know what, God's giving us another time, another chance. Now let me tell you what happened the first time. And he, So he, he begins this history in verse 19. Then we set out from Horeb, and we went through all that great and terrible wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites. Just as the Lord our God had commanded us. And then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And he goes through all these places that they stopped. You know. And then he said. And, and remember. You know they said. Well let's send some people in there to look at it. And see what they find out. And so he goes on and talks about that. And then he makes, this is the, the report that he says they brought back. Now this is 40 years later as he's telling about it. He says, they also brought us back a report and said, the land that the Lord our God is about to give us is good. He stops right there. Doesn't even go with what the other 10 said. This was the report. The land is good. Yet you were unwilling to go up. And of course, they're probably sitting there thinking, not me, it was my mom and dad. <laughs> I'm telling you this because they didn't go in, you know. So he's, he's making a point here. Um, and so, you know, you're thinking to yourself, what did those people think back then? Was it just because they appeared as grasshoppers and so they were? Or were they really afraid? Or was it just... This is, this is going to be hard. That is sloth. When we back away from something God's called us to, it's going to be hard. It's going to take a long time. I don't know if it's worth it. Maybe it's not a good use of my time right now. Um, these are the kind of things that are the beginnings of that kind of attitude. He goes on, he says, But I said to you, don't be terrified, nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Well, how's he going to do that? He's invisible. You know, I mean, sure, he brought some plagues and all that stuff. And he can do anything. He can do anything if we'll let him, if we'll believe him. You know, Um. And so that's the first one. Sloth's loss was for a whole generation not to go in the promised land. Well, we'd like to look at it and say it was fear. Fear is just a symptom of something else. Fear is a symptom of something else. They did not see the worthwhileness of following hard after God. Here's another example. This one's of an individual um, this one may take a little bit of your thinking. This is about Judas. There are a number of commentaries that say that feel like 
Judas hanging himself was a worse sin than betraying Jesus. Think about that. Because in what he did, he threw away any hope of repentance and salvation. That is, that is the end of sloth, is when there is no reason to go after anything spiritual. The despair of the possibility of salvation. Unlike Peter. Peter betrayed Jesus three times. He wept. He stayed with the disciples. And he got commissioned to take care of God's people. He didn't drown himself. He didn't kill himself. He says, I'm just going to go fishing. And God met him. God met him in that place. Um, You know, I think we all can kind of look back in our lives and see times when maybe the Lord was challenging us for something. Um, Missed opportunities. Sometimes God's gracious. And He brings that opportunity around again. And sometimes it's just missed. You know, and you walk down the life's path and he brings another maybe different in some way um, I, I you know I've been I've had more time because I'm not working as much now and so I'm trying to spend a little bit more time in in the mornings reading and so I'm now like trying to read whole books books with the like 15 chapters or less something like that that's about as long as I can sit but so the other morning I was like well what do you mean to read today? I'm sitting there. Ecclesiastes. That's a weird book to have to read now. <laughs> so, so I start reading Ecclesiastes. I get through about four chapters. I'm like, man, this is really depressing. Vanity, and vanity's just not worth doing. I'm like, oh wait a minute. I don't. I don't even know if I want to. Do I have to finish this book today? Yeah. Okay, I said I was going to read a book, so I read the book. And it's like, I keep reading, I'm like, oh, I get it. This is sloth. If you can't, if if everything's meaningless, if everything's futile, thank you. I I see how you're trying to get my attention here about this. And so I thought, okay, what, you know, what what is this meaningless word? And so I went and I looked it up and... The Greek word is hevel, H-A-H-E-V-E-L, hevel. And it's it's translated meaningless a lot of places, but it's really, tr- what, they're, what they're trying to tell you is that uh, it's, it has the quality of smoke or vapor. In other words, um, it's temporary and kind of fleeting and you can't quite see through it. And that's what they're trying to say about life. There's a lot of times you're in this place and you're engaging life and you find yourself in a place and it's like, you can't make any sense of it. Well, maybe like COVID or because how long it's lasted or, you know, being in a hard place. You know what it's like to be in a hard place. Well, how did I get here? And why am I going through this now? Um, And like for me, I'm just making this... I'm still tacking instead of coming about because I don't know where to come about to. 
this long transition in stopping the work because I, I want to keep one foot in it. Just so my I get very um, fidgety <coughs> mentally if I don't have things to do. I, I think too much, and uh, I start wondering. I'm wasting my life, Lord. What do you want me to be about? You know, so you find some little project to make you feel a little bit better. Uh, right now, I'm building a B-24 bomber model. Every now and then, I'll spend a little bit of time on it because that was the plane my father was in during World War II. So I'm going to put one more together before I die. I'm finding that uh, my eyesight and my my hands are not as steady as they used to be. So the, I told my middle brother, I says, well, the paint job is probably going to look like a six-year-old did by the time I get through with it. But anyway, I, you know, so I'm reading this, and it's like, okay, I understand. So why should I despair just because I don't quite understand this place I'm in in life, you know? Um, and so you, if, you walk, if you walk all the way through Ecclesiastes, you know, it talks, it says, it says, it's okay. You need to just keep walking. You need to, you need to fear God and keep his commandments. That's the best thing to do when you don't know what to do. Um, it's kind of like, you know, what we were saying the other day about the angel who was proclaiming the eternal gospel of Revelation 4, 6, and 7 is fear God and obey him. That's, we're still going to be doing the same thing in heaven, you know. Fear there is a it's just this humble reverence for who he is and the majesty of who he is, you know. When we get to that particular place, and so, you know, I've thought about this as far as this whole thing with COVID, and it just keeps. When's it going to end? And people are tired of it. People are weary of it. They're weary of the constraints. They're, I think for all of us, I could look out and say, what part of your life have you put on pause because of COVID? What part of our community life as a church have we just hit the pause button and we're just kind of treading, waiting for this thing to pass? And you know, a lot of times when you get in that place, it's like, well, what's the point? What's the point of doing this, you know? Or we get indifferent about life, you know, because we're just kind of trying to hang on. And, um, you know, maybe in the next book I need to read is The Pursuit of God, the, the rest of A.W. Tozer's book again. But uh, I, I think it's, this is the, the time and the place where it's easy to begin to, to slide into the beginnings of sloth, where there's, there's not that desire that's there. Um, I'm not saying... It can be there, but the the oomph to make it go from desire to action um, is sometimes it's very difficult. Whether you just don't feel good physically, or life is just treading water right now, it's hard. Um, I I have two scriptures, and then I have a parable, and then I have a story. That's how much we've got left to go through here. So. This first scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.16 is prefaced by these words which the Crossway people have, I think, had a theme years ago. Um, I believe, therefore I spoke. Did y'all? I believe, therefore I spoke. And then this two, two verses later it says, 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. I believed, therefore I spoke. So it's a matter of just pressing on whatever's inside. Let there be some action, whether it be speaking or or anything like that, that causes us not to lose heart. The second one is in Hebrews 12.3. For consider him, Jesus, for consider Jesus who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This verse comes after the one that says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so Jesus is really giving us a little bit of what it takes to overcome sloth, and that's joy. There's a joy set before him that he was able to not shrink back, but to press on with the will of God for him. Um, And so really what it comes down to is this passionate hunger and thirsting for righteousness. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about this. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? They'll be satisfied. But just like in the in the prayer that we read earlier, the more you hunger and thirst for righteousness and the more you see your life lining up with the right way to walk in a manner worthy of God, the more you want more of that. Does that make sense? Um, we talked about the Lord's Prayer during the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Bill was saying, the Lord just reminded him that before you even pray, He knows what you need, but then pray like this. And so I I looked that particular passage up in Luke, um, and, you know, the the disciples came to Him and they said, "Uh, teach us how to pray. And so He says, say this. And then He goes through the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things in the in the Lord's Prayer was to give us our daily bread. And then there's a parable right after that prayer. And this is what it says. It says, And he, Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, because a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to serve him. And from inside, the man answers and says, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. It's been shut. And my children and I are in bed. I cannot give, get up and give you anything. And Jesus says this, I'll tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his shamelessness or persistence, whichever word you want to use, because of his shamelessness, he will give him, get up and give him as much as he needs. So, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, those three verbs 
are really supposed to be continuous. If you look in the margin of your Bible, if you have notes, it says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and it will be open. And then he goes on, he says this, now which of you fathers will the son ask for a fish, and instead of a fish he will give him a snake? Or will he even ask for an egg and give him a scorpion? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That guy was not afraid to get up in the middle of the night and go bang on his neighbor's door. Say, I need some bread. He could have waited till the morning. They wouldn't, didn't need it till breakfast time. He was desperate. He was desperate to have a need met. Um, so he went out and he bothered him. And he wasn't ashamed to do it at that particular time. Uh, am I that thirsty? Am I that hungry for, for the, the next thing I need? And if I am, do I believe if I ask God for more of himself that he'll give it to me? He's a good God. And what more would he want to give us than himself? And how does he do that? He gives us the third person, the Holy Spirit. Um, that's his work in us. Um, so, I want to press on to the upward call because he's calling me to himself. And so, the word today is don't despair in the journey. <laughs> Don't despair in the journey. You don't have to walk it alone. He's called us to walk it together. So Greg's going to share um, sometime in the next year on bearing your own burden and, and bearing other people's burdens. Thank you, Greg. I told him this a couple of weeks ago. I said, I want you to give a message on this because it says for us to bear one another's burdens and then two verses later it says bear your own burden. I said, well, you going to speak on that for us? Thank you, Greg. <laughs> you know, look, I'm looking at people that I know really have a heart to move on with God. You want to take new ground spiritually for yourself? And you want to take new ground for, this, for the kingdom of God? I do. There's a want to and then there's this... Sometimes it's like... Oh, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay, isn't it? To move on, isn't it, Pat? It's costly. I remember... Um, Camille was telling me she uh, she got a brief audience with uh, one of the YWAM heavyweights. What's that lady? Um, no, um, I can't think of who it was. But but she she said she said the lady turned around and said, "It's costly. I mean, like it's hard work to get where I am." You know? <laughs> That's it. That was the name. That was the name. Yes. And and it is. And it's like, you know, I, I you feel like you're, and then you plateau and you're like, okay, Lord, what's it going to take? What, what, what have I got to do to, to either 
whether whether it's higher or deeper, depending on how what your perspective of moving on with God is. I'm like, man, that, that's going to take an investment, isn't it? You know, it's a little bit of being slothful in my heart. I know that. You know, I I, I want to. It's like my spirit is willing, but the flesh is really, really weak. Um, I'm going to read one last story, and then um, maybe we can just ask God to be continue to be gracious. This is a C.S. Lewis story. It's called The Silver Chair. Um, you know, most of his, his stories, uh, there's a point besides just the words that you read. And so this one's about two characters, an animal and a human. Jill, not this Jill, but I don't think it was written about you. It's written about all of us. We're all Jill, okay? And a lion. And I don't identify as a Jill. <laughs> well, you need to get with the culture. And the lion, which represents, who's the lion represent? None. Yes. Okay, so keep that in mind and draw your spiritual understanding as these two people have a conversation with one another. Are you thirsty? Said the lion. I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at his motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise to, will you promise not to, to do anything to me if I come? <laughs> said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without even noticing it, she had taken a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She said. I have swallowed up girls and boys. Men and women, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. He didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if he were sorry, nor as if he were angry. <coughs> he just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. 
There is no other stream, said the lion. I'm going to close with another prayer. O God of tender mercies, I know I've kept you at arm's length. I've kept you safe in heaven. But heaven has leaned down to the earth and I've been touched anew. Like thirsty ground, I long for you. Forgive my casualness about your love. Forgive my shallow life. I am finished with shallowness. Deliver me from shallow living. I desire to press on to your upward call. In Jesus' name, amen.